Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Hungry and Satisfied. That is actually the name of the sermon series we're about to get into. Um, I came up with that name. Um, I actually right now have no idea what, what the motivation behind it was. But nevertheless, I believe it was something good. And we'll figure it out. We're going to be going through the Beatitudes. Um, Matt's going to be preaching a couple. Chuck is going to, going to um, preach a couple. And I think we got um, Wolf Dog Shirkus Meyer coming through to do one. Y'all know Wolf Dog. Y'all can howl if you want to. It's all good. All right. All right. So, all right. So, so today we're going to be doing, we're going to be jumping in. Um, if you have your Bible or you have your iPhone, whatever you roll with, turn to Matthew 5.3. And today's um, sermon is titled Poor House. All right. It's entitled Poor House. Okay? All right. So before we even read the text, well, let, let me go ahead and read the text. So it's Matthew 5, 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm actually going to go 1 to 3 or whatever. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he went and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor, excuse me, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So... Let me tell you what the poorhouse is. I'm going to just give you a concept because you're going to need to know it as we go through the rest of the sermon so you know what I'm talking about. Um, a lot of times, like, there's a tendency when you look in the scriptures or whatever, you see um, the word poor or, or anything that has to do with brokenness that we would naturally assume that it's talking about somebody who's physically poor. And there's many instances where the, te- where the Bible is actually talking about people who are physically poor. Because, you know, I believe there's a mandate in the Bible, it's all through the text where God is like, take care of the fatherless, the widows, you know what I'm saying, the orphans and so forth. So God is really, really serious about taking care of the physical poor. But what we're talking about is actually going to be those poor in spirit. So as we go through this text, we're going to actually try to iron out the differences there or whatever. And it's really important because it says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but... I want some kingdom of heaven. Y'all with me on that? Can I get a ooh? All right, ooh. All right. So let's just work our way through the scriptures here. So I'm actually, um, if you weren't here last week, excuse me, not last week, but the last sermon I did, um, I spoke out of Matthew 9, um, 10 through 13, whatever. Um, y'all can actually throw that up in the back. So I did this sermon called Friends of Jesus, and it was one of those sermons It was just heavy. I'm actually not personally passing myself. I'm still working through that sermon, but I think it kind of segue really good into what we are actually talking about right now. So I'm going to take us through it a little bit so we can hit this poorhouse thing or whatever, right? Because I think it touches on that. And if you weren't here, you get a quick recap, all right? So let me read this to us. So Matthew 9, 10 through 13. All right. Hold on for me real quick. All right, y'all ready? Man, it's got quiet. All right, so it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, does anybody remember what recline is code word for? Anybody? What? Say it loud. He's chilling like a villain. Jesus is at the table, reclining at the table, chilling, all right? And then it says, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So this text right here is super important with this idea of what we're talking about with a poorhouse. Like I said, my sermon is going to be schizophrenic, so I'm going to jump all over the place, but catch the pieces in the air and make your Rubik's Cube out of it, and we'll work it out and we'll get all the colors on the right side, all right? So the, um, this, I'm, I don't even want to speed past this text. What was so amazing about it is that in this text, you have the Pharisees and they're looking on as Jesus is passing them. They think the good. They think they're cute. They think they're good people. Jesus is passing them, and he's going over to the tax collectors. And when I researched this, the tax collectors have this 
tremendous amount of disdain. And, and the example I gave the other week is like if we were invaded by another country and um, say another country came in, took America captive, and, but they grabbed some of us in the room and said, hey, yo, I'll give you a job. You can tax the people. You can even make a little extra money taxing them and you'd be on our team, right? We would like probably have a utter disgust for that person, am I right? Because we'd be like, you're a straight trader. So in their context, in their society, the tax collector, like it's like past kind of just being a sinner. It's kind of like you're the scum of the earth, right? Scum of the earth mode. So, but Jesus is, the Pharisees are like, why are you rolling with them? Like these people are really, really messed up. Like they're not kind of messed up. They're not kind of just sinners. Like they're foul messed up. And then Jesus says this statement, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And what Jesus was saying there, he was saying, you, y'all are about your, 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 your Christianese or, or excuse me, or your religious rituals that you do. And you think you're actually good. You think you're meeting some type of mark. And Jesus is saying, actually, actually came to give mercy. Like this isn't even about what you can actually do to impress me or pull me into your, your game or whatever. I actually came to save those who are utterly lost, right? And then, and the thing is, when he said, makes this statement, this is actually an invitation for them to come into the poorhouse. And this is where we'll start unpacking this poorhouse idea. So he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So last week I actually explained how this text came from Hosea 6.6. We don't have it on the screen. But Hosea 6.6 is basically a prophet talking to what would have been these people's like fathers from back in the day, like the, the ancient forefathers who were also Pharisees and everything else, right? So in Hosea 6.6, Jesus was actually throwing them a bone like, go learn what this means. Go take a look at it. And what they would have found is they would have saw where their forefathers were getting rebuked. And Jesus said almost the same exact words. I desire mercy, not your vain sacrifices and incense and all these things, these rituals you do in the, t- in, in the temple, right? So, the, so the, the point there was for them to go look at it. And, 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 it's, and so let me make this point, too. It's funny how he actually puts them in the vein of being righteous, but he's actually trying to get them over to the realm of being a sinner. You catch that? So he's throwing them a bone like, he said, I came for the sinners, not the righteous. So he's like, that's why I'm hanging with them and not you. But he's he's jabbing at them because he's saying, you think you're actually righteous. But if you go look at this text and this scripture, you'll see daddies in here where they messed up royally and were rebellious. And if your heart is going to do the right thing or whatever, if you're going to react and you're going to come into the poorhouse, this is the invitation to the poorhouse. If you come into the poorhouse, you'll be like, oh, my God, what have we done? We're walking in the same destruction as our forefathers, and then they'll make the switch up. Y'all get that? Amazing stuff. All right. So Jesus is actually, so when he's talking about sick, the sick and the sinners, I believe the reason, you know, Jesus actually pursues the sick and sinners and, and, and people that are broken because I believe that they're closer to, it's easy for them to grab on to the fact that they're broken, right? Like we talked about last week, this whole idea of um, like a tax collector. How you go home and you look in the mirror at night? You can't look in the mirror at night and act like you're cute. You know you're a traitor. You know that you've actually sold your people out for money, right? In this context we're talking about, there's no way to get around that. Like, you are very close to the fact that you are tore up from the floor. You may have made your bones with it, and you're going to strut through life every day and, you know, spend your life away to try to cover up the pain. But when you get home every day, you realize you're walking past your people, your kinsmen, your people that love you, and they really want to spit on you, right? So, man, if Jesus came to give mercy, that might... He's the closest person to the poorhouse, right? They're the closest person that's ready. I know what I am. You came to bring mercy? Mercy is exactly what I need. You get where I'm coming from? The, the big issue is when you have Pharisees or whatever, and, 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 and we do this all the time, and we get stuck in these places all the time, but when you're stuck in a situation, and you're like, man, yo, these people are messed up, and you think you aren't that. It's a hard pill to swallow when God shows you you are that. Am I right? So 
Uh, there's two definitions I want to actually um, say to you. One of them is actually out of Wikipedia, and it's a definition for the phrase rock bottom. So we've all heard people say like, man, you like, how am I doing? They're like, I've hit rock bottom, right? So let's, I just want to read to you what that actually means. So rock bottom is a culmination of a descent to a place where a person has, a person has nothing left to lose in terms of possessions, status, wealth, and perhaps even shelter, food, and warmth as a result of self-destructive behavior, right? It's easy for me to talk to you about a tax collector, but I'm, I'm going to actually talk to you about myself now, right? So this descent, like a lot of us in this room right now, right? I don't want to go to zero to 100 on you, but a lot of us in this room, we're actually in the middle of this descent right now, right? But there's a kind of a difference because some of us are in the middle of this descent, but we won't own it. We won't admit to it. We won't confess it. We won't say what it is, right? But this invitation into the poorhouse is actually an opportunity for freedom. You know, there was a, um, and I've said this before, I mean, when I first met my wife and I was so in love with her and everything else, and, and man, she, I just thought she was absolutely amazing. But like the tax collector, I look in the mirror and there was no way of getting around. I was like, I'm going to destroy this. I'm going to destroy my marriage. All right, excuse me, we weren't married yet, but I'm like, I, I wanted to marry her, but I knew I was going to actually destroy that because I knew what I was. Does that make sense? Like, it's like, I'm going to mess this up. And then there's all these other things about myself that I would never ever say in public, but when I got to my, you know, alone, I had to deal with them because we're looking at real situations and the circumstances, and I'm like... All right, I'm 23. I've had like 80 jobs. I don't think I know how to take care of anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, literally. So I'm having to really swallow this stuff about myself and it's killing me, it's grinding me. You know what I'm saying? And then at the same time, I just had a son or whatever and I've always had this disgusting disdain for my father or whatever for not being there and everything else. But then I'm in the club just tore up from the floor when I should be with my son and actually lying to his mother, whatever, just so I can go get to the party. And then it starts hitting me. I'm like, you're your father. Man, starting to finally get this pill down my throat a little bit, right? And I'm like, and so, man, when it came time when the Lord came to me because he pursued me, so I'm on scumbag mode running from him. It's not like I got good all of a sudden and wanted him, but... Through his grace and his mercy, he kept letting me see myself, right? And so I was like, yeah, I'll take the deal. Let's, let's, let's do it. I mean, I say it like that, but really it came upon me. You know what I'm saying? It's really a move of the Holy Spirit. But I was like, I, I got to have that. I got to have it because I didn't have the shields and the lies no more. You know what I'm saying? God used the circumstance of my wife to reveal how wicked my heart was. And it left me actually hopeless and in a place where it's like, this, this can't go nowhere. Like, Lord, if you're not in it, then this is just destruction. This is just going to be a path of just debris and everything I've just destroyed here. I'm going to shame myself, shame my family, and I'm going to shame everybody, right? And so that's what that looked like. So y'all still with me? Um, my computer's actually acting crazy. There it goes. All right. So there's this, uh, hold on, let me tell you about this right here. So the Bible talks about how the Lord loves a contrite heart, right? We serve a God who is holy in heaven, surrounded by angels, Right? That's his place. That's his, that's, his, his, um, that's his vibe. Angels flying everywhere, screaming, holy, holy, holy. But at the same time, he also, he likes to chill on that throne because that's where he belongs, and he's the only one that can sit there. But he also likes to come chill with the contrite and broken heart, hearted. How crazy is that? Like he resists the proud, 
but those with a contrite, broken heart, that's his dwelling place too. He's like, I'm right with you. If you're thirsty, and you're thirsty, you're spiritually broken, thirsty, we can chill, right? Um, the definition for contrite is this right here. It says, feeling or expressing remorse or penitence affected by guilt. And the synonyms are um, remorseful, repentant, penitent, regretful, sorry, apologetic, rueful, sheepish, sheepish. I've never heard this one, but hangdog. All right. Anybody ever heard that one? Hangdog, ashamed, shamefaced, conscience-stricken, guilt-ridden, right? And so, man, let's just talk about this tension real quick. So I'm just thinking about where you got like Paul, right? You got Paul, and Paul is, um, man, he's like, he's the Iron Man of like the gospel basically to us. Like we esteem him extremely highly or whatever, right? For all that he's written, the things he's accomplished, the churches he planted. I mean, we actually get, um, well, we do a horrible job at it, but a lot of our church models actually came out of what he actually started, right? So he's that guy. But you listen to Paul, and Paul is like, Lord, he's like, I want to do good, but then when I want to do good, there's evil waiting, right? And he says, my flesh is just like, there's nothing good in my flesh. It's utterly wicked. He's like, when I want to do bad, good is there. And he sounds like this schizophrenic mess. And after he goes through this schizophrenic thing of sin and, oh, my God, and I want to do good, but this and that, da-da-da, he sounds like a lot of us, right? A lot of the tension and the war that's going on inside of us. And then he goes, but Jesus. He ends up and he says, but Jesus. And what's so amazing about that is that it's like he is not sitting around playing with this idea of being good. He's not playing with the idea of being the good God. He's pursuing good. He's pursuing justice. He's pursuing all the things that are beautiful and pour out of the heart of God, right? But he's fully aware that he is actually broken, right? He's actually broken, and he understands that he's been graced to do these things by the blood of Jesus. So his right to fight for good was purchased for him. Does that make sense? I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. I'm just playing with it right now. But we're going to get to it, like for real get to it. But it's a beautiful thing. This contrite heart, this brokenness, and a father that, that comes and dwells with that. The thing about this is this right here. In a way, I almost resent this. You know what I'm saying? I resent it for myself personally because, like, I'm called to preach. Like, I know that I am. But I don't feel like a preacher. I don't even feel worthy to preach. You get what I'm saying? And then at the same time, while I'm working on this sermon, I'm like, well, why in the world would you use me to preach? Like, I'm back here, whatever, like, Moving like, you know what I'm saying? Like I just came out of first grade out this joint, like K-12 up in here, whatever, right? <laughs> Trying to get this sermon together. You know, no joke. And, and here's the thing. I know God is going to show up. I know he's going to show up because I know it's not about me. So I'm just really just reading you what his word says or whatever. Like I don't have to pull an awesome sermon off. I get to pull off, tell you about what Jesus did, right? And if I did that, then I won. So... I can at least pull together and just read what's written down, right? But nevertheless, but nevertheless, there is a part of me inside of my wicked heart that wants y'all to be like, Jay, you killed it, brother. You fly with it, man. You killed it. Like, even as I'm working on this sermon yesterday, I kept stopping and just like repenting because it's like, as I go forward, I have to acknowledge it. It's so weird. So weird to wrap your words around this thing because it's like, okay, God, I'm going to preach about this right here, but I'm actually crippled right now in the process of even trying to go forward. So I don't even have me to rely on. All I have is you to rely on. I don't have confidence in anything else I'm going to say here. So I need you to do what you do. And so, man, that thing is it's schizophrenic. But at the end of it, we get to go, but Jesus. Man, 
We get to go but Jesus, right? So, all right. I'm going to jump all over the place real quick, right? I'm going to tell you about my man David real quick, right? This is what it looks like when you hit the floor, like super fast, right? So 2 Samuel 12. I'm going to read this to y'all. I believe we got the text up on the screen too. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him. Listen to this really, really well. This is the king right here, King David we're talking about. So this is to show you that, that rich people can be poor as dirt too, right? Spiritually poor. Set up to inherit the kingdom, right? Blessed. But this is what it, this is what it looks like sometimes. I know we want it to look like, man, we're going up in power and our muscles, and, and, and every, but it doesn't look like that. Let me show you real quick. So, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ooh lamb. Ooh lamb. I didn't even catch that when I was working on that, man. I could have punched Lynette to death. Wow. Ooh. All right. (laughs) Which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. So this is the poor guy. Like he got the, the lamb is like his, his child, right? So it says he used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He just. All right. So. Let me just stop this. real. Hold on. All right. I'm sorry. Let me keep reading. All right. I'm getting hype. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. And he says. All right. He says. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you to the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You, are struck, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite, your right-hand man, with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So David, who is, is definitely a child of God, right? King David, when Nathan gives him this scenario, David's able to see it clearly because he's able to step out of himself. He thinks he's talking about somebody else. And he's like, you low down scumbag. He's like tax collector mode, right? He's like this, this, he's disgusted. He's appalled by the lack of loyalty, the lack of respect. He's angered. He's kindled with a righteous anger. So much so, he pronounces his own judgment. This man deserves to die. And then Nathan says, homie, this is about you. You're the king and you took your man's woman while he was on the front lines battling for you. Where you used to battle at until you became, you started playing king and chilling in 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 the palace while we were on the battlefield and got cute. Right? So Nathan lays it on out to him, and David falls in two seconds. He doesn't fight. He doesn't argue against it. He's broken in that moment, right? He's broken in that moment. He understands what it means to go into the poorhouse, right? He, he, he knows what it means at this point. Because, and here's the, here's the reason he knows. Because I didn't put the rest of the text, but... 
Nathan tells him, God has already put your sin away. All right? It's all in one conversation. God is laying him flat, body slammed him on the floor, suplex, figure four, all of that, right on the floor. And, and I know it's all in the same statement because after they, um, Nathan says it, it says that Nathan went to the house and went and chilled, right? Nathan went home after that. So he, he brings it to him, but at the same breath, he is crushing him. He says, the Lord has already put your sin away, right? So this right here is what, this is what we're talking about. Like, you know, when I said earlier that the, the Lord said, I came to give mercy, him coming to give mercy and why he's hanging with sinners is because there's these opportunities to give mercy to make himself revealed, right? You will see the Lord clearer as you get broken. Like, I'm going to tell you the story you want to hear. The story you want to hear is that you're going to be a Christian and you're going to go and you're going to walk and you'll become more astute and articulated in the Lord and your theology is going to be through the roof and you're going to be sharp and you're going to be able to cast down any devil. You're going to just crush them. That's what you want to hear. But the fact of the matter is you may not make it out of this thing without your face dragging on the ground. You may not even be able to look up. That's the fact of the matter is. That's what this gospel does for you. And every time you will see the Lord clearer and your face will go more and more to the ground as you walk on. That's how this process really works. You know, I love having Chuck on staff or whatever, right? I was telling my boys the other day or whatnot, like, we'll be in a meeting and me and Matt will have our, our, our stuff going on and we're all on our churchy stuff or whatever and we're talking, having our, going back and forth and church will be like, I mean, Chuck will be like, fellas, <laughs> you know how the OG talks. So Chuck will be like, fellas, I hear what you're saying. But I just want to tell you, I've been doing this like 40 years. That's all a bunch of bull crap. All right? And he lays it to us because after all his years in ministry, he's like, yeah, I don't got no superhero story to tell you. I didn't come here with a cape on. I came here limping. I can tell you who Jesus is, though. I can paint you a picture for him real quick. Real good, but it, it didn't come at the expense of me being super awesome preacher. Came out of my brokenness. Come out, came out of weakness. It came out of him setting me up to see myself, right? David, you are the man. That person you think that should be killed, you are the man. So when we talk about this, um, so there's a demeanor, of course, that comes from this, right? It's this sobering, um, you know, when I, when I used to read Psalms when I first got saved, I used to swear, like, I used to think David sounded like such a punk. Listen, listening to him like whine through, I, I just didn't understand it. I just, like, you know, I heard about King David, but I was like, man, you sounded soft, man. Like, you know, I heard you took Goliath's head off and all of that and, like, you know, you was with the mighty men, y'all were slashing, like the real 300 for real. And, but I just was like, you're always whining and crying. I don't get it. Like, you're always crying out to the Lord. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I'm trying to, like, get, like, where's the, where's the super thug at? I'm trying to find it. But anyway, as I started to actually read his story, and his, 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 it started to make sense to me. Like, that I was actually reading about a man that was empowered by his love from God. Like, it's, it's amazing his quickness to repent. And God always said, like, man, David's a man after my own heart. You read the story, he sounds like a villain, right? But, man, God, God was crushing him, but revealing himself to him. And so, yeah, it sounded like David... Sounds like a person who killed their best friend or ki killed somebody dear to them, took their wife, and then still remaining king and still being lavish with the mercy and love of God. Most of us in here don't even think, we're like, God, you really should have killed him because we don't think we're that foul. 
But God, he showed David. He can show us, too. All right? So something I want to show you real quick. Um, so I'm going to actually read Isaiah 41, 14. And uh, it's just something I want you to catch inside of this. But the first part of this scripture starts like this. This is actually the prophet speaking. And he says, fear not. You worm Jacob, you men of Israel, I'm the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. I'm going to stop right there. I've never been called a worm. I've been called a snake, a shice ball. But I've never been called a worm, right? I don't like it. I just don't like it. But God, you can tell by the scripture, it's actually meant as like a, a term of endearment, so to speak, right? It's weird, but, but just listen to what he says to him, you know? Matter of fact, I'm going to put my wife's name in this real quick. Babe, fear not, you worm Alana, <laughs> you lady of Israel. I'm the one who helps you, declares me. I'm the redeemer of the Holy One of Israel. So in context, when you hear that, he's saying like, yo, I got your back. But he is very, very resolute about who Jacob is, right? It's like you're a worm. So I'm your God. I got your back. We're going to do this, right? But he's not playing with that. That's the problem, right? Here's the problem. We are sitting around. Like if, if y'all listen to me right here, right now. There's some people that are going to really, really get free if they hear this. I talk to many people in here all the time, whatever, on a personal level. I myself go through this exact same thing. And my conversations very often are based around condemnation, guilt, can't get through to the gospel because we're in this place where we're like, just messed up, I'm jacked up, I'm tore up from the floor up, this and that, da-da-da, whatever, this and that. When we don't know, that's actually our qualifications. Like, that's actually what we need on our resume to get up in the, the poorhouse and be called blessed, right? When he's actually calling him a worm, what he's saying is he, he actually takes joy in it. He's like, man, like you know I said, he's up in the high place, but he's also with the broken and contrite. He's saying as a worm, you have no arms, no way to fight back. You're on the ground. You're there to get stepped on. You don't, you don't got no weapons. You're just slithering on the ground. You are helpless and defenseless. That's their posture before God. That's what, Nath, that's, that's what David's posture was when, when the Lord called him out. Right? That's what his posture was. He's like, I'm caught. No arms, no legs. I have nothing to box with. He immediately cops to it. Oh, my God. He had already said it. He said, yo, I deserve to die. What else are you going to say? Can't talk back out of that one, right? But he's saying, fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. So we're wrestling all the time with this condemnation of how jacked up we are and how messed up we are. But God has no, he has no issues with it. He has issues with it that we won't come to him with no arms and slither on up. And he's like, what's up, worm? I was waiting for you. Let's get to it. Let's do this thing. Because he's like, I got this. Well, God, I can't open doors. I'm going to open the door, man. The enemy's coming with a sword. I got the sword. Homie, just roll. He's about his own glory. If you walk up with all the swords and all that, how you look like? You know what I'm saying? He's like, yo, I need you to slither up. Like, looking like, what's he going to do? And when I come through and thug everybody out and clear the battlefield, they'll know who showed up, right? So you worm, helpless, no defense, armless, poor. Before I move on from that too, there's, there's this, there has to be an acknowledgement of that. that that's not just an a indwelling thing you wrestle with about being broken. You, when you go boldly, how the Bible says we can go boldly into the throne room, you need to come bold. You need to come in with a contrite heart, like a worm, right? Like a worm. Or you might find the door locked. That's what he's looking for, a broken, contrite heart. He's like, I, that's who I roll with. 
All right, let me keep going. All right, so it says, Behold, I make of you a... Th so, fear not, you worm. Jacob, you men of Israel, I'm the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. So he's talking to the worm, talking about how he has nothing but love and confidence. Like he's, he's lavishing the worm, right? So he's like telling the worm, like, yo, we about to go. We're we going to do something. I'm going to make something amazing out of you because you have no arms, for my glory, right? So he says, you shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord. And the Holy One of Israel, you shall glory. 17, it says, when the poor, is that my phone? No, it's not my phone. Whoever that is, that better be Jesus. I'm just playing with you. All right. All right. So it says, when the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. There's that poor thing right there, too, right? So let me just say this real quick. When, I, when, when we're talking about subject matters, like when we're talking about the poor house, we're jumping around in a whole lot of scriptures. It's real easy for, um, as a preacher, one thing you don't want to do is start taking scriptures out of context. These stories may have a different context, but what I'm actually trying to point to you is the actual heart inside of it, right? So it's not necessarily about the particular story, but it's the heart of what we're seeing here. But listen to what he says real quick. And you shall rejoice in the Lord, and the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I believe the Lord right now is talking about people who are spiritually poor. Earlier we just heard him reference Jacob as a worm, right? He's talking about people who... Are, are, are rock bottom, that are contrite, that have been through this trajectory of trying it on their own and on their own doesn't work. They may have a good front, right? They may have an awesome car to hide behind, a big house to hide behind, whatever their thing is to cover it up. But the fact of the matter is the Lord responds to the poor and needy, right? This very much reminds me of David when we heard him say, as the deer pan for the water, my soul longs for you, O Lord. Man. Um, so John Piper, he does this thing where he goes through saints that are poor in spirit. And I'm going to actually, I'm going to run through this really quick, but I want you to just get a picture of this really, really fast. And I'm going to run through some of the examples he gave, right? Some of the quotes out of the Bible. He says, David, the sacrifice acceptable, this is David speaking. He says, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou will not despise. When the, and then it says, when the collection for the temple was being taken, David prayed, and he said, Who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to thus to offer willingly? For all things come from thee, and of thy own have we given thee. In short, David is looking at people giving, and he's going, What kind of crazy mess is this? We're in here coming in here, bringing in money to God, and the money is all his in the first place. Like, David is in this very sobering place with his creator and understand who created, made, and controls every single thing, right? He's broken. He understands, he, not that he is, you know, it's peculiar for a man on this, to understand on this level, but he understands how small we are before a holy God, Right? He's getting this, but he got this through brokenness, through a mass amount of mistakes that even cost other people their lives, right? But that's what he's saying. He's like, everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to him. That's hard for us to hear. It's hard for us to hear because now it puts us in a place to be responsible for things in a different way if it all belongs to God, right? These are the type of things we stumble upon when it comes to coming into the poorhouse. Because when you come in the poorhouse, you come in with nothing, but you get promised everything. That's that kingdom of God that we're blessed with. He'll give you every single thing, but you got to lay your mess down, right? All right, let me keep on rolling. In Job, it says, I had heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see thee. 
Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. It's good old Job. Anybody who sees him, the face goes down to the ground even more. We're not going to get cute. It's not going to happen. We're going to get, we're on a road to get more and more disgusting. It doesn't go up like this. It goes like this. This is what this walk is going to be like. Isaiah, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Bumping bump into the Lord, this is what starts to happen, right? But here's the thing. Listen to what he says right there. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Man, if you get a hold of this, your ministry game will go to a whole nother level because you can stop being a religious, stuck-up, super-Christian, all right? What he's saying there is when he saw himself, his first mindset is like, oh, my God, I am wicked. Oh, my God, you're so holy, Lord. We are all far, far off from you. Do you get what I'm saying? So let me, let me, this is how this looks in modern day, right? In modern day, it looks like when you walk through the street, you're not trying to separate, okay, there were some sinful people over there and these people over here and everything else or whatever. You don't, you're not doing that no more because you're like, there's nothing nobody can do that you, 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 you know you're just as filthy, right? So it lets you now share the gospel as good news, not as a good person, that got the good old gospel because you're good. But as a wretch in the poorhouse, exposed, that's why when people are like, yo, I used to do this right here. I used to, guess what? I used to do it too. Might be back. Trying not to be back, but I might be back because I'm just a man, right? That's what it's really saying. That's what it's really, really talking about. So, you know, I'm going to try to get us out of here, but I'm going to run through this real quick. But, you know, it's funny, like, the other week, um, I told y'all doing one spark, we were partying and stuff, we we're chilling, we we're hanging out. I had my juror duties and everything, whatever, don't hate. But anyway, so we was having a good time and all that and stuff. And, and, uh, and, and so me and some of the guys, whatever, we went to um, the Volstead Bar or whatever. Some of y'all already run out of the church now. Dude, it's all right, you'll be all right. We'll talk about it after church, come holler at me, all right? And so, but I'm sitting in, like, people keep coming in or whatever, and everybody's coming in. It's like these crew of people, and everybody's, like, drunk or whatever and stuff, and we're talking, and we're laughing, and I'm meeting everybody, and then I'm like, boom, image cards, barbecue, barbecue, blah, 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 da, 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 come through. You know what I'm saying? They slide on out or whatever. Next crew of people come in or whatever, and they're talking, they're laughing, this and that, and the one girl's telling me how something happened or whatever, and she got busted for cocaine, but she never did cocaine, and then homeboy's like, girlfriend. We do cocaine. Stop lying. Like, he's like, stop playing games. I hear you trying to give you super story and all that. Stop lying, right? And so I'm sitting there, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, cool. I'm like, listen, talking to him. And like, for some of us, that may make us flinch. It didn't do nothing to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it didn't do nothing because I'm like, yeah, man. It's only the grace of God that I ain't knee deep in it with you. Like, what, what, what kind of stone can I throw, that, throw at you? Because it'll hit me in the head, right? I can't throw a stone at you, but guess what? We talked. We laughed. I said, man, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry you got in trouble and arrested, whatever. And I was able to talk to him, and then boom, hit him with the cards. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> but we had a good time. So they didn't even trip when I gave them like a, they're like, yo, you're a pastor? They're like, oh, my God. I'm like, yo, I'm, I got a beer in my hand. Chill out. Don't start with acting up or whatever, this and that, or whatever, right? I'm like, chill out. So I wasn't in this sloppy or nothing, so don't start throwing your stones. But anyway, all right, anyway. So, but, just, you know, the point is, is that, man, this grace and mercy, it levels the playing field. I don't got time to try to separate this and that and y'all stay over here. We all in this box. We all need Jesus Christ. And even after you get him, it's, you're still, like David's a man of God. He's still getting floored. And as you walk, God's going to keep showing you you. And that's what Chuck tells us all the time. He's like, bro, the more I walk through this, the more I've seen it. Whether God showed it to me with my, my wife or with my kids, but these things where I, I saw myself and didn't like it, man, I saw me. But it made me grab on to Jesus even tighter. So 
I show up to preach with y'all, but I don't got nobody to talk about Je- but Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? So I thank God for him so much, right? So I'm going to run through these, and we're going to wrap it up. It says, John the Baptist. He said, uh, 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 John, yeah, John the Baptist. Not John the Baptist. All right. Interpretate. All right. So he says, I, I baptize with water, but, but among you stands one whom you do not know, even who comes after me, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he says, he must increase. I must decrease. Right? And then he also said, if anyone would be the first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Um, this is the tax collector right here. This is another one. But it says, Jesus told a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector who went up to the temple to pray. Concerning the tax collector, he said, but the tax collector, standing far off, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, which is another, just another way of saying blessed are the poor in spirit, right? So, man, so he's sitting around wrestling with being good all the time, trying to meet this mark. But God actually loves worms. He, he, he actually takes up residence with the broken. This should be such good news to us. Because I don't know about you, I get sick of wrestling with the idea that I'm just not good enough. I get sick of trying to paint, put lipstick on the pig and make it look cute when I know it's really just a pig, right? All right? I walked around one spark or whatever the whole week straight or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And, and you know what I'm saying? I got a serious workout, hence the Schmedium t-shirt. <laughs> but it's still some rolls there, all right? It still is what it is. Y'all get where I'm coming from, all right? What I'm trying to tell you now, all right? Y'all listen. I'm trying to tell you that, man, dude, we can't hide from the Lord. Man, he's got the poorhouse front door open. He's like, yo, Jay, man, throw the white beat on and come on in, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, come on in. He's like, stop hiding. Stop going through all of that. Come on in. Last one right here says the centurion says when Jesus was not far from the house, the centurion sent uh, friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the multitude, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith, all right? The Canaanite woman says, when Jesus at first refused to request her since she was not a Jew, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, to which Jesus responds, oh, woman, great is your faith. The dynamic in both of these are the same, right? Both of them feel completely unworthy. And here's the thing I'm talking about. It's important that when we're getting this, that this isn't just a... Um, a mental mind thing. Like, you have to apply, you have to respond to the Lord in faith with this brokenness. Do you get what I'm saying? We can talk on the phone all day about how tore up you are. And I can talk about it too. And I tell God about it all the time. But there's this point where we, we gladly become worms and he can talk to us like a worm. He said, listen, worms, it's all good. I got you, right? And he can come and he can dwell with us and roll with us. What was so, what amazed God about them was that he called homegirl a dog. And she was like, she, she was like, yo, even the dogs get the crumbs off the table. No wrestling about, oh, you called me a dog. She's like, I understand what I am. I know I'm broke, busted, and disgusted. I know I'm tore up from the floor up. I know I'm a liar, thief. I know everything on that Ten Commandments list. I know I'm guilty of every single one of them. But Lord, throw a dog a bone. Man, so do you, you see the friction there? Prostrate? Okay, y'all get it later. I messed that up badly earlier. All right, so prostrate on the floor, broken. How you get up when you're that broken? 
You get up when you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That in, 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 in Matthew 9, he's the Jesus that walked past the people that thought they were cute. Excuse me, excuse me. I need to get over here to the scumbag, to the worm. Because the scumbag, when I, when I share this gospel with him, he'd be like, man, I, I can't box you back. I don't have no arms. I'm guilty. Just be like the people at the bar. Oh, no, we cokeheads, girlfriend. Don't, don't lie about it. You know, it's, it's funny because like with preaching or whatever, right, I'm always like the tendency is to go try to take the gospel till you think somebody who's cute and intellectual, right? They're going to get it. They're civilized, smart, good people. They'll want, it. They'll want the good news, right? <laughs> and lately it's like God's been messing with me so much because he's like, man, you, you're not even following my protocol. Go, your, go, go, go roll with some of them cats you used to roll with. This will probably be good news to them. Y'all know what y'all are. Y'all know what y'all do. You know what y'all did. You know the secrets y'all don't even talk, you don't even say out loud, right? You know the things that'll get you locked up forever. You know. I bet you they need a bone thrown, right? Whew. Ben, y'all can go ahead and come up. I'm going to go ahead and start closing this out. Uh, God is, he's, um, he's intoxicatingly amazing. Um, he's infinitely beautiful. Like, he, he, he really, really is. And uh, I, I have no idea why, why he would even let me even like carry this word, even like work with it, that he would allow me to ever even speak it and convey it. Like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like um, uh, Isaiah just with, or Elijah, excuse me, with just like my lips are too foul. The stuff I can spew out of my mouth to my wife, to my kids, behind people's back. It's the ugly. It's the disgusting stuff. Why in the world would you let me touch this word? And it's like, it feels like he has pleasure in breaking me with that dynamic, right? But, you know, and that's, I don't really know what to say about that. But I know that there is a debt that is, that was owed, right? And it's not possible to ever pay this debt. I can't go pull enough kids out of the hood. We can't save enough kids from sex trafficking. You can't give enough money away. You can't pay enough tithes. You can't come in church and hoop and holler enough times to ever even chip at this debt, to even chip away at it, right? So it leaves us like a worm with no arms. It leaves us absolutely hopeless. But then, God, he becomes a man, and he walks this earth, and he walks it perfectly. And he walks it perfectly because he was going to go to the cross and die in our place, right? As a perfect sacrifice. That's a beautiful story. But if you still think you're cute, it's hard to see the beauty in it. You know what I'm saying? Because it's hard to fathom what really took place. It's hard for me to fathom it. It's hard for me to grasp a majestical king, creator of heaven and earth, humbling himself to the point to becoming a worm, right? so he can save a bunch of people that hate him and rebel against him. But nevertheless, he did. And I just know that, well, let me say, let me just say this real quick. When we were discussing this sermon, like this sermon series, 
um, me and Matt and Chuck were meeting and stuff or whatever, and they were like, they're like, um, you know, we were actually pushing towards something else, and I kept pushing towards this. And they're like, man, you know, Matt was like, Jay, why, why do you want to hit this sermon so hard? Why do you want to push this series? And I said, man, I said, I want to push this series. I said, because we need for our church to be poor. Like, we need for everybody in the building to be working to this place of being poor. And I said, it's super, super important. And the reason it's so important is because, you know, man, we're not special, but God is doing a special thing inside of Image Church. And maybe we get nonchalant about it because we're sitting in it from week to week. But I'll tell you, when people come visit and they look inside of this and they see what's going on, they're like, what in the world is going on, right? You know, I talked to one of my, father, one of my boys the other day or whatever, and he was like, um, he said, man, he said he came to church for something. And he said, bro, he goes, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And he said... It's apparent to me that there is a war going on in the room. And, and this is the way he explained it. He said, there's a war going on. He goes, I can feel racial tension. I can feel the, the tension between the different classes of people. He's like, but at the same time, it's like, it's like being at the eye of the storm. Like there's actually like this peace in the middle of it. It's like everybody's not getting exactly what they want, but they're laying down their preferences because they realize God is doing like a new, amazing thing, right? So it's like a, like a whirlwind, like God is just doing some crazy stuff. But the thing is, we, this is going for it to keep going. We have to get poor and poor and poor as a church from the front door to the back per, to the last person in the building, right? Like we have to get poor. We have to go into the poorhouse because there's too many contentions and different things, the devil and strifes that he wants to use against us, right? We have to be poor, right? And the, and the way we stay poor is keeping our face to the ground at the foot of the cross by lifting Jesus high, lifting that cross high. Because when the cross is lifted up, all of us, all we can do is lay flat. It's like he said, he said, man, he said, I'm, I have unclean lips, but all these people have unclean lips. The ground gets level, and we can all put our face to the ground and say, Lord, we need that mercy. We need that grace. We're broken. I feel some things about some people in here, the way they do things, this and that. That's not the problem. It's not the problem. The problem is not laying at the feet of the cross, right? God's not surprised by how jacked up we are. He, he looks, he's looking for worms. So in a minute, I feel like I'm talking too long. We're about to take communion while the band plays. And um, the Bible says, don't nonchalantly come and take the table. And what it represents, it represents Jesus' body being broken on our behalf, right? So he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he said, man, this is my body being broken on the cross. Like he was, he was making a way for us. He was opening the door to the poorhouse for us to come into it. So when we believe, for you, this may be the first time that you're saying, Lord, I, I see you. I feel you. I feel you right now. I feel you pushing on my heart. I feel you talking to me right now. If you do, then come up here and you take the table doing praise and worship. And let that be your confession, right? You, 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 when, you, when you dip it inside of the wine, that's, that represents his blood that was spilled. Like, there, there's blood over the door to the poorhouse. Like, because it wasn't, it wasn't just, it's not just, it wasn't free. It cost a holy God. He laid his life down for it. He came up three days later. But you don't want to be nonchalant about this. I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to go, whatever, but... I mean, you may feel like, wow, your pride may be the thing that's hard for you to get past. You may feel exactly what's being said, and you may even feel like the Spirit of the Lord pushing on you. You don't have to figure anything out. You don't have to come up with how to do it. You don't have to come up with a plan for you're going to be good and you're going to be perfect. You just get to wake up and, 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 and just say, Lord, I'm here. Like a worm, arms off, everything, messed up, tore up. I slithered in here. 
but you told me I can come in. You told me I could come before your throne. So I get to come in. I'm not just going to lay on the ground as a worm. I'm going to slither in and be like, Lord, here I am. And I'm going to let you take it from there, all right? So I love y'all, all right?